0: Welcome to the same podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk.
1: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us online. I don't know what you do if you're watching online, and then we have like the five minutes say hello to the people next to you. Like, post in the chat. Do you like talk to yourself? What happens? I don't know. Maybe... um. That's, that's a bit mean if you're sitting at home watching us on your own. Anyhow, I'm really sorry. Um, it's really good to have you here. If, you're, if you haven't got a seat, just squeeze in. There. there are seats available. There's room down the front. And it's so good to have you. If you're new or you're visiting here tonight, and we I've met people who are visiting here tonight from Canada and from America. So can we just, in a moment, hang on, um, and there may be more that I've not mentioned, other nations as well. If you are visiting from somewhere um, around the world, like as a one-off, not if like, You live here and you're also from Canada, that's great too. Um, But if you're visiting somewhere around the world, um, could we just, we're not gonna embarrass you and make you stand up or anything like that, but could we just welcome everybody on the count of three? Ready, one, two, three, go. Welcome. So good. If we've not met, my name is Al, I help lead the team here at Saint, and uh, tonight we're continuing a series we've been doing um, called Firm Foundations, looking at some key areas that we just sense God at the moment is laying foundations in the life of the church. And if you've missed any of the series, you can go back on YouTube, you can catch up, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And tonight we're going to look at the heart, and particularly we're going to focus on worship. And you'll have noticed over the last um, few months, we've been spending a lot of time worshipping. And I make no apology for that. That is like our purpose as human beings is to discover that we're loved by God, that we're called into a relationship of love with him and that we're created to worship. And when we worship, like stuff happens in our lives and God meets us, he forms our heart, he changes us, he loves us. And I know that everything that I've seen happen in my life often has happened, well, many good things have happened in the context of worship. I was 18 years old, I became a Christian and a friend of mine uh, gave me like a CD, well, not a seat, like a, a tape, I'm, ch- I'm trying to contextualize it because not many of you here will know what I'm talking about. But in those days, before we had MP3s and Spotify, we had like, like, we recorded songs on like tapes. And I know they're coming back into fashion, so it just makes me even older by sharing this story right now. But literally you could get a tape and you could take it out your Walkman and hand it over to somebody else. Does anyone, remember, anyone here remember tapes? Just raise a hand. Like a solid 10%. I feel, I feel seen. <laughs> (laughs) Um, uh, I had a yellow Walkman which is the height of cool the sports one that you could lock it and you could jump in like a river or a pool or the sea and and that was great you never did that because you didn't want to break it but um, it was supposedly waterproof and I had this friend who was a Christian I became a Christian they said to me hey you need to learn to worship God I was 18 years old they opened up their Walkman they handed over a tape which had like worship mix on it I was like what is a worship mix I put it in my Walkman I shut the Walkman I pressed play and I experienced the love love of God in my own room in a really powerful way that has to this day been formative and transformative in my life as a, as a believer in Jesus. So tonight we're going to look at the heart and we're going to look particularly at the area of worship because as a pastor, my, um, I guess my job is to encourage you guys to get into the good place with God so that he can love you, he can build your life he can help you grow in him. So, what we're doing tonight is not just talking about the 20 minutes or the 30 minutes um, that we spend in church singing. It's like the big W worship, the whole of life. And I want to come um, to frame this uh, with a passage from the book of Hebrews. And then, what we're going to do is have a conversation around worship. And I'm going to invite some of our worship team out to talk. And so, hopefully, this will be fun. Um, we're going to end having lots of time to worship and pray for one another. But right now, if you have a Bible with you, would you go to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're gonna read from verse 18. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. And the writer of Hebrews is writing, as you may have guessed, clue is in the title, to the Hebrews. And that was the Jewish believers at the time. And the point of the letter really is to draw them from religion that was inherited into this living relationship with Jesus. And what the writer does in this passage is he, he points to the kind of empty religion that had been their way of living, and fear, and, and trembling, and kind of a way of being afraid of God, and points them through the lens of Jesus into what it looks like to encounter God in worship. Now, the writer writes to the Hebrews, but he writes to you and I, because all of us have this like, tendency, this like gravity towards religion, with a kind of small r, the kind of bad kind of religion. In the sense that we like replacing the real thing with human structures, with unhealthy patterns that that kind of we think are going to get us credit with God, but actually don't really matter. And also religion compounds, bad religion compounds in our thinking like negative ideas about God and who God is that are just simply not true. But the meaning when we approach God, we have these assumptions about how God feels about us that actually can hinder us in our relationships. I don't know if you've ever had this with a friend. Maybe you've got a friend and like you've not been in touch with them for a while and you sort of think, oh gosh, what did I do? Was it that night out where I didn't split the bill properly? Or was it like, you know, when we, I didn't go to their party or when they were ill, I didn't message them or... Was it that awkward night where they said to me, I, I think I really like you? And you were like, uh-uh, I don't really like you. And then it's not been a conversation. Some of you are like, yes, that was me. Um, uh, you know, maybe there are situations in your life where it's, it just feels a little bit awkward. And then you have to sit down conversation with them. And you're like, hey, I just want to check, are we good? Is everything all right in our lives? Because I, I've got a feeling that I may have, you know, and they're like, no oh no, that's totally not what happened. Does anyone have had this experience when you're like, oh, I've completely misread the situation. And the reality on their side is something completely different. It's like they're not cross with you and they are not like judging you and they are not like holding a score list of things that you've got wrong or they're not bitter about the fact you didn't split the bill. They're like, yeah, I had six mojitos and you had a Diet Coke. Of course, you're not gonna split the bill with me. Whatever it might be. That's just that's not a prophetic word, by the way. That's just, that's just um, an analogy. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to to the people who are are kind of trying to work out how to relate to God in worship, but they're using an old paradigm. And the paradigm they're using is one of like literally fear and trembling. They are terrified that if they approach God wrong, or they get it wrong, or they come into his presence wrong, they are going to be smoked. Literally, they're going to be toasted, roasted by the glory of God. And in the Old Testament, that's kind of what happened if you got it wrong and you came near to the holy of holies wrong there was a guy called Uzziah who reaches out and tries to steady the ark of the covenant as it's wobbling one day and the guy drops dead everyone's like don't go near God and if you do go near God make sure you are super right with God and make sure that your whole life every single area of your life you've done the laundry that everything is perfect like when you were rude to your teacher at school you've gone back and found the teacher and repented like don't get anything wrong And so there was a lot of fear about approaching God in relationship. And maybe you're like that tonight. Maybe you've grown up in an ultra-religious context. Or maybe you've just had bad experiences in church where you're like, I don't think God could love me. Or maybe your your past, your background has led you to a place where you're not sure that God really, really loves you. Maybe, you, you know, you're confident that he loves the person next to you. Or maybe the person in front of you or behind you. But you. You know, isn't he kind of a little bit cross with you still? And so the whole frame with which these people were trying to approach God in worship was one of performance, one of law, one of like scorekeeping. And what the writer of the Hebrews we're gonna see does is completely blows that out of the water. But more than that, he says, it's not fear and trembling. It's like a whole lot better than your wildest dreams. In fact, when you come and you gather to worship God, you are entering into something that is so utterly compelling and beautiful and life-changing and enrapturing that that it will transform not just you, but but the people around you, the world around you. You can never be the same when you spend time with Jesus. And so what we're gonna do as we read this, is let me just pray and let me uh, just encourage you as as I read this to, to put yourself in the story tonight, if that makes sense. It's the letter to the Hebrews, but it's the letter to you and me too. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray tonight that as we look at this whole area of worship, that you'd build firm foundations in us, that where some of us have been clinging onto a performance-based religion, where we think if we sing the right songs and we do the right things and we behave the right way, or if we kind of figure out that you're, you're, you're okay with us, that somehow we'll, we'll be okay with you. But God, we know that there is so much more for us. And we pray tonight that you would lead each one of us Into a place of deeper intimacy and love. That you'd come and you'd wreck our hearts with your love. You'd come and speak to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast. Was such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Moses, friend of God, is terrified of coming close to the mountain of God. And the writer continues, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, we haven't come to like an appraisal with God on a Sunday evening or a Monday morning. We've come to the final verdict of judgment on your life. And it's written with grace and kindness because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over your life than anything else. Doesn't matter what you've been called in your life, what you call yourself in the mirror when no one's looking, what you say about yourself in the secrets of your heart. Jesus has spoken a better word over your life. And then it continues, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. So, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So rather than coming with fear and trembling, Because of the blood of Jesus, we come with reverence and awe. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? Like we don't come with like any preconditions or any like validification of our own souls. We don't come with anything that qualifies us. We come just as we are, because Jesus has invited us to come. And when we get there on that same spiritual journey, we find that we are overwhelmed with awe and wonder, goodness, and beauty, and life, and hope. So what we're going to do tonight is unpack that a little bit, and I want to go on a journey a little bit into what happens to the human heart when we spend time in awe and wonder before God. Does that make sense? Now, maybe you're here. Why is this important? Well, maybe you're here and you're a creative. Where do your ideas come from? Well, it's not going to come from algorithms or being oversaturated with content. Your heart is alive with the possibility of a different future because you've experienced awe and wonder and beauty. And as a Christian, you have an unfair advantage in this regard in that you're invited to come into the presence of God and let him shape you. Maybe you're an accountant. to go the, like, Not that accountants aren't creative. Maybe you're somebody who deals with numbers how do you make sense of the spreadsheet? How do you make sense of your workplace tomorrow? What does it mean for you to balance the books in your capacity as an accountant? Well, the answer is awe and wonder, a holy regard for Excel or whatever it is, zero, whatever it is used. But that stuff is good. God loves that. And He cares that you do your work really well. That work is actually worship. You know, in the Hebrew, they only have one word for work and it's the same word that is also the word for worship. The two are interchangeable. Your workplace is your place of worship. So what we're doing tonight is not just talking about the singing on a Sunday, but I want us to take the human heart and go on a bit of a journey into wonder and awe that, that God might in us tonight birth the possibility of a closer communion with him. Does that make sense? So 30 seconds... Turn the person you came with. If you're on your own and you don't know anybody, just talk to your phone or talk. To you, or turn the person next to you if they're friendly. Or like, if not, just if you're like an introvert, and this is your worst nightmare. Um, that's okay. I'm really sorry. Come and find me afterwards, and I'll console, you know commiserate with you. But 30 seconds. Um, just ask the person next to you, like, what's the most inspiring thing you've seen today or heard today? or or listened to or looked at most inspiring thing today think about it get your synapses working what has inspired you it could be really simple it could be really profound 30 seconds go guys Okay, so listen, um, just shout out some things that you're inspired by, okay? Starting at the back of the room, extroverts, this is your moment. Shout out something you're excited about, inspired about today. What was that? Coffee, yes. Thank Jesus for coffee, right? Okay, Esther, go on, you got a good one. Zara, can you be specific though? No, come on, I I think you need to like, Esther, Zara, (laughs) she she like Esther like went to Zara and then got inspired and Zara has come to church which is amazing. Okay, and um, you guys had good ones. You had like sunshine, sun, Jane, quiet. It's great. Like the introverts, like that quiet time in the worship. Love it. Amazing. Okay, let's do one more from maybe the wings here sides sides either side or that side like one more thing that's inspired you today gordon Gordon brown on education wow that is a good one that's really good was that like fresh today was he like doing education things today his book on education i got you okay i was like gordon brown that's like i went to a lecture theater my claim to fame is i went to university where gordon brown spoke at the lecture theater once and it was like he was yeah anyhow big segue thank you very inspiring gordon brown's book on education go get it okay for those visiting from canada that will mean nothing to you or america that will mean nothing um so inspiration let, let, let's bring this in where, where am i going with this okay what i want you to think about is how does inspiration work in the life of the worshiper and the way we're going to do this tonight is i'm going to ask a couple of our team to come and join us and uh, the first is Kaz, who you'll know. Kaz heads up the worship team here. Uh, Kaz is amazing. She is um, one of the most extraordinary leaders. I had the privilege of working with Kaz. And um, despite being about half my age, um, well, you're not anymore, though. You, you, you used to be. You're, like, 26 now, so you're, like, old now. But um, you, how long have you been on team here? Five years. So Kaz has headed up the worship here since she was 21. That is, that is, quite, that is quite something. And the worship team is amazing. Hands up if you're a part of the worship production team. Just raise a hand. A bunch of you are. Okay, we love you guys. And we have about 80 on the crew right now. They run, we have 12 services across all the locations that Saint runs. And um, Kaz oversees all that. And she's an exceptional leader. And we just love you, Kaz. We're so grateful for you. So could we welcome and encourage Kaz as she comes up? Um, and then um, Amanda, Amanda, come on up as well, um, and um, let me introduce you as you come up and then we can clap, because I, I feel like if I, if, you didn't, if I didn't clap now, we'd leave you out having clapped for Kaz, but um, Amanda is part of the worship team at Saint, Amanda is also a worship leader, leads worship all over the world, and um, has since the kind of beginning of the year, um, we've come to sort of this, this crazy thing we're calling an artist in residence, which I'm sure you can say about in a moment. But Amanda is kind of part of our worship team when she's here. This is like where she docks in, in the UK. And um, it's been leading worship a bit on Sundays, and maybe you've seen her at like Renaissance and a bunch of stuff. But Amanda leads worship all around the place, writes amazing songs, has just finished an album and touring. You hate this, I know. So um, an album touring with Bethel, and is just, just an amazing human being. And we've become friends, and I think Kaz and I were like chatting to Amanda in about November last year, and we're like, Amanda was like, hey, I'd love to come and like pitch my tent here at Saint and think of some crazy creative things to do and we as a church really want to champion creativity both in the church and outside the church so that's part of the thinking behind this idea of being an artist in residence but before I ask you about that Amanda could we just welcome Amanda hi so how are we doing everyone all right have you got a microphone
2: okay I was just being casual so
1: so, casual. <laughs> so good So Amanda, um, artists in residence here, just tell us a bit about that, because that has been a kind of bit of a journey, crazy idea. We chatted back in November, like this community um, have a real heart for creativity and encouraging creativity and beauty and wonder and music and... Anything you can think of. And Renaissance has been part of that. We're also launching a school of worship that you're hopefully going to be part of. And um, all these things kind of have led us to this place where this has sort of become a, I guess, a, a pit stop, a home from home. Uh, just say a bit about like how, what, what that's going to look like and what, you, what your heart is for this.
2: Well, um, about, I guess, five years ago, I started spending a fair bit of time in England. I love England. I'm from Canada originally. So I think it's the commonwealth probably in my blood. But I, I came to England for refuge and for respite and for uh, a reintroduction, I think, to to God and ideas of God and myself. I was starting a grieving process actually about five years ago. I'd been out here a lot before, but basically I found a path. There was a path that was cut clear for me, it felt like, to be introduced to a a bigger, um, more historic liturgy, obviously, that connected me to the divine. I'd been in America for a while and I've been part of various spaces and predominantly a church that I really love called Bethel. Um, And in America, um, I find that what we have to deal with and manage and struggle with is our narcissism. And out here, I feel like maybe it's cynicism and I connect to both, right? I'm like, wow, I can see it in myself whenever I'm in the place. Um, you only recognize what's out there if it's in here. So I, what I love is that both of those things balance things out for me. Um, and whenever I've needed whatever the next era of, of the frontier of God is, a, a step emerges and a path appears. So England has been that for me for years. It's a place that has reintroduced me to um to god in a in a much more spacious way, maybe i 'll say it that way, so when we started talking about music and creativity and different kind of projects, um it just made sense to join to join you guys and to to kind of be part of what 's already happening here i've loved it i 've loved watching it when i 'm far away, you know, I definitely feel like my heart has a home here, and you guys have made that possible, so I just really love that, thank you.
1: So good, and um, I, I wanted to dive in with this idea, um, thank you for sharing that, like skating over it really quickly, um, but the, the idea of like, um, that if I can dive into the sort of healing power of the presence of God, you talked about that a little bit, and I think we've been experiencing that, Kaz, haven't we, the last few months, just... I think we've, we've tried to clear the decks a bit and make space just to focus on Jesus, which is a good thing. And that's led to like people in experiencing the love of God in a way that we haven't seen before. So I wanted to just like unpick a little bit. You've talked about your journey and I guess healing and, and worship's been at the heart of that, expressing yourself to God, encountering God in that place. Just talk about the impact that spending time in the presence of God, what we read about in Hebrews—that thing of coming to the mountain of God, the kind of spiritual journey to the to the presence of God—but that awe and trembling and wonder, and like the the goodness of being in the heart of God, just say a bit what that does to the soul.
2: Mm. You, just, you asked about twelve questions there. I was like, I'm, I'm picking so up on. <laughs> really, um, today, I just got to focus on today's answer because tomorrow will be probably different. Um, I have yet to find anything as transformative as, you know, the, the love and the presence and the mercy of God. There just is nothing like it. And for me, music is medicine for my mental health. Um, it's, I would say, I didn't grow up with the idea of music being worship. I think that's, you know, we've, we've talked about that before. Um, music is music, and that's sacred in and of itself. Um, but I loved that music gave me language for, um, for a landscape that I didn't have language for I didn't have I didn't grow up with language for even emotional health Mental health, you know um, Never mind, spiritual health And all those things are very intrinsically connected And so music became the, the clearing for me The only way that could clear the clutter in my mind The only way that could make sense of the disorder in my brain And it gave me emotional language Which is what it does And it, and it, and it cuts um, It gets right to the heart right away, doesn't it? Um, so, I would say sitting at the piano was the only place that I could find peace most of the time as a kid. I was fairly tormented um, by my own imagination i didn 't have a lot of um, i think with my parents understanding their upbringing and how they parented me they didn't their generation didn 't have parenting for their imagination right. Um, it, it was more concerned with survival right at that time in history and so I have an imagination that runs wild on its own it doesn't need a lot of help and it can go in a lot of great directions but I haven't I've been learning how to how to how to actually bring my imagination into a conversation with God maybe I'll put it that way when we're directing ourselves towards the thing which to me the thing is this final frontier of God um, it's if I bring my imagination, if I bring my anxiety, if I worry my way towards God, if I bring my concerns, if I bring my disappointment, if I bring my depression, those are all, that, the, that is the offering. We were talking a little bit about that this morning. Um, it's this, you start in any relationship, any healthy relationship with the baseline of honesty, right? So you, you actually get to where you're actually at. You start with reality first, and that's what you build upon. That's how you build a life. That's how you build character. That's how you build a future. It's all based on reality. It's not based on fantasy. And I think sometimes within the culture of Christianity and you know our orthodoxy, we lean into fantasy a fair bit. Um, we interpret things in fantasy, and, and then that creates a dissonance, a cognitive dissonance that we we feel like maybe we have to leave reality out there. Does that make sense? When you walk into the doors, you're like, oh, I have to leave reality out here somewhere in the garden um, and enter into a fantasy world. Um, when in reality, reality is the baseline. That is, that is the ground on which you meet God. And I think that there is an immediate response of fear and trembling that happens in a human heart when you realize how interested this being is this divine connection is in your reality not in the fantasy but in the reality and in healing our reality and integrating our reality so i think every everything changes when we bring our true selves forward and we leave the illusions behind and we say this is where i'm actually at that is the most precious experience i've ever had when it comes to communion with god because worship is just another word for that right it's the communion it's the conversation it's the divine union that we're looking for um but learning that us bringing ourselves in our true reality to god that's the most precious thing that you can do on any given day so if it's your depression that's precious if it's your disappointment it's precious um, if it's your anxiety, it's precious. If it's your fatigue, it's precious, you know? Um, we don't have to, perf- there is no such thing as performing your way into the presence of God. The presence of God is based in reality. That was a tangent, I don't know well, why. That's doing. so good. I mean, it's, <laughs>
1: yeah, come on, let's encourage. Yeah, on, um, let's encourage Amanda. I, I like what you're saying about um, reality because I think sometimes we can, the danger is as Christians we can kind of live this slight escapism spiritually whereas actually the, the Christian life is is real life it's not um, it's not the kind of world to come or a, a, like you say a fantasy land um, it's not fairy tale or make believe it, it's really real and that's what what I find really helpful is that when we worship we're realigning ourselves with reality that's what like the Hebrews the right of Hebrews is yeah. saying it's not like this thing you thought it was, but because of Jesus, you come into goodness and life and truth. And thats I know in my life, that's so healing. But um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Go on, you're going to jump well,
0: in. I was just going to add on to that, saying that I remember hearing someone once say um, that God can't heal the person you're pretending to be. He can only, like, he can only heal the person that you come to him as like, fully sort of stripped from all the other things. you're. And I think on that, I want to ask a question on practically how we do this day to day I'd love to hear I know you shared this before a few times in other contexts at saint but just for those of us who haven't heard this like what is your daily practice in leading yourself into that place of you know being totally abundant before God and being like here I am here's all my mess here's all the good stuff how do I walk into the day knowing that I'm loved, forgiven how can I live a life of worship outside of these walls and also the walls in our heads and that kind of stuff
1: you can take your time. It's like a good question, Kaz. Yeah.
2: Thank you. It's great. That's great. <laughs> I think that what has been so transformative, it's the ordinary things for me. Um, it's the daily, boring, ordinary things. It's the returning to a practice. We never outgrow the practice of our spirituality. We never outgrow, um, yeah, practice. We practice this. And one of the practices that I love is it's a gratitude practice. There's a journal that's been developed by a psychologist called the Five Minute Journal, and it's fantastic. And it takes all the think work out of it for you, because we don't need something else to (laughs) try to come up with on our own we have enough on our plate so it it lays it out for you
1: so you were sharing about this this morning so it's like it it asks you like on an app like questions Mm what are the questions
2: three things you're grateful for Um, today would be amazing if and daily affirmations and then at the end of the day you know today was great because and today would have been even better if So it puts you on a a path of of retraining your brain to think about positive reinforcement at the end of the night before you go to sleep. Because when you're asleep, you're the most vulnerable to new input, right? Um, and you get baby brain cells that are born overnight, that are looking for a new thought to think. I don't, this get, is, I don't get any of those. This is <laughs> you, you <laughs> this is Caroline do. Leaf stuff. I love her. But, I just have three children to prove it. So, yeah. But basically, if you put yourself in a daily practice, morning and night, you start retraining your brain towards gratitude. And even if, let's say, you got you know you lost yourself in traffic, you lost it on a stranger. Let's just say road rage, whatever. If you're filling out the journal at the end of the night and it said today would have been even better if. Maybe I didn't yell at the person next to me in the car or on the street or whatever. And what it does is it puts your brain on a path towards thinking positively about the experience while you fall asleep. So that when you wake up in the morning, you're not in a shame spiral. Does that make sense? So then you're building on gratitude. And gratitude, I think, is one of the only things that you can... You have power over you. you get to decide. Nobody else decides this for us. Nobody does. Um, and it's available to us at every time, every single day, all day. Um, there's always something, always something to be grateful for, always. Um, it doesn't matter if it's been the highest day or the dark night of the soul, deep depression for me. Like the last eight years, that has been one of the single most transformative experiences because it's a gateway to God, because it's a gateway to the practice of paying attention and starting to look for God, right? Um, You don't get to decide what exists out there, but you do get to decide what you see and how you perceive it and how you interpret it and what you make it mean. So if I'm looking for evil, I will find it. If I'm looking for good, I will find it. Life and death are in front of us every single day all day long, right? It doesn't mean that you live in like I said a fantasy. It means that you you choose your compass in the morning. You choose I'm going I'm going to practice paying attention lo- to locate goodness and you will find it. It's a guaranteed thing. There's nothing pretty much you can guarantee in life, but this thing you can guarantee. And it is like instant it is like medicinal. It's a medicinal quality. There are journal entries that come up from deep grief over the last number of years that I've been rereading. And there was always something. There was a flower in the sidewalk, or there was a phone call from a friend, or there was a thought that I knew was cutting through the vitriol in my own mind that was kinder than everything else I'd heard. There was always something. And... That to me is, I mean, we're, if we're talking about worship, if we're talking about, I think we've made worship into the thing, and it never was meant to be the thing. It's just a response. It's a human response. The nature of, the, the nature of God is the thing. We don't need to teach people how to worship. It's, it's innately part of our, our system, our operating system. We respond to beauty with wow, right? Right? Yeah, that's that's it. We respond to beauty with wow. We respond to like a great gift with thank you. You know that that those are natural responses. So I I don't think worship is the thing as much as just learning, putting ourselves in the path of the nature of God daily in a very practical way um, that opens us up to the possibility. I love what you were saying earlier about the it creates a new possibility for yourself, for your life to be transformed by what you're viewing, what your viewpoint is, and what your line of sight is.
1: So helpful. And I'd love to just um, talk a little bit about the church, um, because we talked a bit about this earlier, but the the church in our generation, like many things, seems to be going through quite a lot of change. There's been a pandemic, there's been, you know, sort of some of the structures and the things that we thought were solid turned out to not be solid. Some of the leaders we kind of put on platforms turned out to not, not be great, or be flawed like everybody else, um, but but it's felt at times like, um, you know, that again going back to the passage in Hebrews it talks about the sort of mountain on fire. At times, sometimes, you look at the church, you think, Oh, the church is like the house is burning down, you know, why would we want to run in and and meet with God? Um, when there's so much that's on fire, literally, that place, of fire. just re- reflections on the church in this moment as we come out of the pandemic, as we go into what are we in the, the 20s? This is maybe like the roaring 20s, so we're like a third of the way through a decade. We started off with so much promise and ended up being in a lockdown for a lot of it. But like reflections on the church and how we as people are trying to build church and love each other well and do things in a healthy way. What can we learn? I know that's a really big question. It's like 10 10 questions.
2: The church at
1: large. on fire, question mark.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well... About three or so years ago, I'd say, I went to a service, a Taze service, um, in a little church in Pasadena, California with my friend. And we walked into the back of the church and um, I'd never been to one of these before. Um, But there was a cross on the floor, lit up by candles, some knee pillows around it, and the chairs were all around it in a circle. And I sat down and there were maybe 20 of us. Someone handed us some sheets of music, and we sang you know quite poorly some of it was in latin i'm like I, I you lost me anyways we we sat we sang someone read scripture from like the gospel someone read something from the psalms they had a contemplative silence at any time you could go and kneel by the cross and i watched people do that i watched people just on their own volition make a decision and it it started to feel like mountains were moving. That's the only way I can describe it. Because to me, the cost of courage is a human heart moving in a direction. And that does sound like something. That to me is like the loudest thing um, that could possibly happen. So I'd watch these people go one at a time and just kind of kneel at the cross for a minute and have an interaction with it. And I wept the whole time. I hadn't been so moved by something church-wise. it's quite fatigued, I think, and also I was in a, a pulling apart season of life and reconstruction of my personhood, and that includes faith for me. And I sat there and I realized, oh, this is so simple. We've made it so complex. Um, we've just made it so complicated, haven't we? And I and when we walked away from that service, I was talking to my friend Teresa, who informed me about, and you're gonna you can please fact check me but the gist of it was that the visual center of the church used to be the altar um and the pulpit was off to the side and the music felt like it was coming through the walls and when you go to old cathedrals still in europe that still exists a lot of the time and i love it because it's impractical um it's it's a we've gotten so used to sitting like directly facing each other almost talking at each other singing at each other it's really fascinating to me you know we've turned it into like a lecture kind of experience but during the reformation a lot of the altars were removed out of the church and they put the pulpit in the center because the spoken word became the thing right the the living word and it was important I'm getting to a point here, but it was important. I think every era and every generation has its beauty and its challenge, right? So that was, there was an importance to that. Um, But slowly, I think over time, because we started relying on the charisma of a personality instead of liturgy, um, we started to crave more charisma. Make it more interesting, entertain me, you know? It required less of our imagination to engage. Um, It was like, you know, we were handed the movie without reading the book. And I think over time we've because of our need for that, we then were like, well what's more charismatic than putting the musicians in the center? And Amen. <laughs> yeah. How's the joke? <laughs> and now we have all our recordings literally in a circle in the center. It's so funny. It's amazing. And it's just it's not I don't say this to tear it down. I don't find any this is this is about integration. And I think sometimes you need to see things in parts before you see them come back together. Does that make sense? So I think sometimes God pulls things apart for us to see them individually. It's
1: totally, I mean, it's true. You're saying I was going to fact check you. I want to come back to the altar thing in a moment. But we, um, there's an amazing book by a guy called Shane Hips called Flickering Pixels that talks out. Have you read that? It's like, it's Gordy who's here. You should read that. Have you read that? You have read that? Okay, I'm going to get it for you for Christmas. Um, so it, it, it's basically a book that charts. One of the points he makes in the book is, before the Reformation, um, what, what was the dominant like encounter between God and people during the Reformation? What became the dominant like nexus of interaction between God and people? The Bible, right? The Word of God, the Gutenberg, the printing press. And the Bible all started looking like this, which I, I don't know if you could see. Um, but it's basically two columns with a row, with like... Rows and then a a kind of gap up the middle. That's what it looks like on the page. Before the printing press and the Bible became the dominant technology through which God interacted with people, no churches were laid out with pews and an aisle up the middle. They were all open plan like cathedrals. (laughs) When this became the dominant medium of interaction, our buildings began to reflect our spiritual interaction. And now every church you walk into, pretty much, we haven't done it here tonight because we've got mobile chairs, but it used to be like this. There are pews... And an aisle at the middle. They reflected the spiritual geography. So, in the medieval time, there was no pews, there was no chairs. What was the dominant form of interaction spiritually? Well, there was no common tongue. People didn't understand it. it was in Latin. So, the buildings had to speak of the glory of God. And so, stained glass windows and sculptures and architecture became the way that people were like, ah. Now, point of reflection in the digital age in the AI age we're walking into what is going to be the technology that becomes wow. a dominant form of interaction spiritually and how will that shape your prayer life and your interaction with God question mark that's for you to take away and think about let's come back to the altar question because that's um, we were talking about this earlier there's a fun story about the altar here that um, you reminded me of earlier mm-hmm. do you remember what we are talking about you do mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is we're moving into a time when we went to the chapel with as Devlin's Um, art installation, it moves me so much because of the interaction between that one and all the other, you know, art installations on the walls. And every artist in their time in history uses the materials that are available to them to interpret the world, right? So we're going to move into an intriguing time. But I feel like it's a time of integration. Um, And I've just been practicing this subtly. It's subtle. Um, The reintegration of of the visual center of the church, which is the altar. Um, And when we came here to to talk about projects and different things like that the other day, Kaz told the story, you probably, a lot of you know it already, about how this church caught on fire in the 50s, right? Um, And the vicar and a friend ran into the burning building and they rescued the altar, and that really, really impacted me because I do feel like, I mean, all of us go through, you know, our, our metaphorical houses burning down. I remember about five years ago, I felt like I was watching my whole life. I was, I was watching it burn to the ground and I didn't know whether to pour fuel or water on it. Um, and I had no energy to do either. And I think we're watching a lot of our institutionalized ideas of religion burn and they are just because dualism is still alive and well feels like there's only two options one you want to cling to it and you want to save it and you want to no we need the old format that's what kept us safe and then the, the other option is no we need that to burn and make it burn faster we hate it you know there's this combination of things that are happening but I think the bigger question is um, what would you save if you ran into the burning building what is the most precious And I think, I think it's the altar. I think it's, it's the altar. It's Jesus. It's the empty cross. It's the thing that reminds us of, um, of the the person. And it's the, it's, it reinstates the imagination. I think we're headed towards a reinstatement of the imagination. Because it's all in us, you know, the, our conscience, to be able to connect, um, by looking with someone at something. I think that's something that I've been noticing too just with how we've turned worship into this mechanism where there's a stage and a microphone and I'm talking or singing or whatever and we're all facing each other, which feels odd to me. It just still, it feels odd to me Um, because I don't like being stared at on any given day. But what I've noticed is, oh well we can do something with that. we can I don't want people to look at me. I want people to look with me at the thing that we're looking at, because it's a way more fun, right? To engage with art, if you go to an art gallery, the most fascinating thing in the art gallery is what's on the walls right and you stop and you stare with people and especially when people are staring at something it creates intrigue you know what I mean when someone is stopped and staring at something a whole crowd gathers like you don't have to gather a crowd you don't have to grab a microphone or a megaphone and try to convince people to look at something when someone is is staring at something it's natural for our tendency to go wait what is there something over there that I'm missing you know and I think that's where we're headed back to that space where we get to be small we get to feel like we're standing at the base of a mountain or by the ocean and we're staring at God together and we're wondering about God together and we're conversing about God together and we're disappearing into the art of it um Jay-Z you know talks about that with his music there's a moment that he would talk about every show every night that he would feel like he disappeared into the music and I think that's the desire of every great artist is that they end up disappearing into the work the work gets remembered you know what I mean? And it, that protects the person as well. There's a whole other thing we can talk about when it comes to art and ego, but that's for another time. I think that, you know, there's lots of things burning down, but the question isn't necessarily should we save it, it's what should we, what What are we, what do we save? And if we can't save it, what do we feel like Jesus is saving? Because I think that's part of it too, like there's, there are things that I couldn't, I couldn't save. But they've been preserved in my own heart, in the temple of my heart, you know? Everything else burned, but the center still is holding. And I feel that for everybody. Yeah, that that's, that's happening across the board. How long have we got? That was
0: so good. Sorry, that's what I'm asking. So should we... No, I, I want to keep going. I just want to make sure that... Do you want to ask another big question and then...
1: Well, let's, let's come into land. Um, I think... Um, <laughs> Sorry. It, it'd be great to talk a little bit about worship and lament. And that was going to be my question. Was it, were you asking? No, no,
0: but, no, but I, I want. No, it's fine. Were well, you asking? Okay. Um, on, that, on, that, on that topic of awe and reverence, how do you stay in that place? Like, I mean, someone asked this question this morning. How do you worship when you're at the end of yourself? You know, when there's nothing left, when you're empty. Yeah, lament or grieving. You've touched on it already, but how did you, and how do you stay in that place of awe and wonder, like, God, you're so good, when
2: the whole world feels like it's burning. I think because the divine conversation didn't begin with us. When we reach the end of our faculties and our energy and all the things we think we can do, we think something's gone wrong because we've been taught to think that in our society. Um, You know, we've been taught to be producers, to produce something in in our religious beliefs or not, or just in the world. And so when you reach the end of your capacity through grief or through whatever, through loss, all of us go through that. There is no one who's exempt from that, especially that's the introduction to our actual helplessness, I think, which is an innate gift to experience being helpless and to be helplessly loved. Um, I think is, that is the starting point. That is how we arrive here. We were having a conversation, we talked about this this morning too. We were having a conversation the other day about how when does love begin for a human being? Is it when we can start responding to it with a language? Or does it begin when we arrive? Um, in a healthy, please hear me, in a healthy context, healthy parenthood, when we arrive as babies, we're loved because we're loved. Not because we can ask for anything, convince, talk, earn anything, right? Um, And I think sometimes there's like been this interruption where we put so much pressure on our ability to get God's attention as though we don't have it, right? As though we need to say the right thing, pray the right thing, sing the right, whatever it would be. Um, When really being helpless is one one of the greatest gifts, I think. To realize that the baseline of love doesn't go away. Regardless of what you do or don't do, or think or don't think, or how much you think you can gain love or lose love, the baseline of love doesn't go away. And the baseline of love is what actually our response is to. Does that make sense? Like worship. We're not worshiping a Gandalf in the sky, like some old guy who's calling the shots, who's floating above the world. You know what I'm saying? We're we are engaging with Jesus who revealed to us what God is actually like because it was all guesswork up until that point. It was all guesswork. Um, and then Jesus arrives on the scene and he brings clarity and a compass to this wild world of God, this final frontier of God that everyone is guessing at. It's everyone's best guess. Your deity against mine. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus comes on the scene and he, he reroutes all of humanity um, by reintroducing us to First of all, showing up helpless. That's how he arrived. He taught us how to be loved from the very beginning, right? Um, By imperfect people and by a perfect parent. And, you know, as far as God, he, he taught us how to call God father. He's like this deity that you refer to this. I call, I call God father. This is a family. This is a parenthood. I am your brother, Right. So I think that there's a gift in in our limitations. I think our limitations are really important and, and our helplessness when we reach that place is actually where a lot of the divine conversation begins. Whereas I used to think the divine conversation was happening because I was focusing on it and doing it and doing the disciplines and trying to show up to as many church services as I could and all this other stuff. And then when everything ran out and I was experiencing loss and grief and I had nothing left to give, that's when I realized the baseline of love was with me all along you know the response has changed worship has changed because it does it evolves with our understanding of the nature of God you know and all of it counts but I think you I think our lament is precious I'll never forget it I just was exhausted repeatedly for years and I would I would come to I would come to a service my nervous system was frapped out and I'd be like I have nothing all I have to give you is my disappointment in my prayer, because honesty is literate I mean, we talked about reality. Honesty is, is the baseline of connection, right? So if we're starting there, it would be, I have only my disappointment to give you today. I'm disappointed in the world. I'm disappointed in the church. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in you. And I would hear back, thank you for trusting me with this. This is precious to me. What you think is, what you think is, a disappointment as a gift is actually treasure to me. Does that make sense? And that builds trust over time, which is what any relationship is built on, which is what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about this God, right? It's built, it's based on trust and Jesus is not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. You can't rush healing. I've learned that over the last five years. All you can do is yield to it and let it happen. um, but I think we, we need a, lament is essential, And it carves a basin in our psyche for joy, also. They're hand in hand. It's like the movie "Inside Out," you know our sadness and our joy. All of it is precious. And all of it is uh, to me, when I think about worship now, I think about moving all of my energy in the direction of God. whatever day it is, if I'm angry, if I'm disappointed, if I'm depressed, if I'm working through something, if something, you know, it's the commitment isn't to try to figure it out on my own in isolation in my brain because that leads to sin. That's actually where it starts. The commitment is to worry my way in the direction of God, to anxiously panic myself towards love, to, you know, depress myself in the couch towards God, to just basically end up leaning, falling, crawling, whatever it would be, into the goodness of God if that makes sense okay I think I I don't know that's where we should probably land we should pray I think we should
1: pray so good okay why don't we pray why don't we stand can we just thank Amanda and Kaz so much
0: thanks for listening to this week's talk if you'd like to find out more give or connect with us visit our website saint.church have a great week and we'll see you soon